probably most moms feel the same way. Fruits are yeah. sweet, so it's, it's a lot easier sell <laughs> to have your kid so eat true. strawberries versus kale. <laughs> Where does a glass of Cabernet fit into this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. You know those great conversations you just don't want to end? The ones that make you laugh or cry or just say, yeah, me too. It's amazing how many of those happen when friends just have a minute to sit together. This is Conversations at the Kitchen Table with Alamo City Moms blog. We'll talk parenting, motherhood, kids stuff, real stuff, hard stuff, and fun stuff. And we hope you'll feel like you just had a great conversation with friends. Welcome to the table. There's always a seat for you. Hey everybody, it's Erin and Amanda here with Alamo City Moms blog. We're talking today with Dr. Ilori, a board certified endocrinologist who focuses on the treatment of diabetes and obesity. Um, she moved to San Antonio in 2015, and she also has two kiddos. So we are talking with her not just about our own uh, individual mom health, but also the health of our families and ways to get nutrition into our lives in a healthy and positive way. So thank you for being with us today, Dr. Ilori. And thank you for having me. Um, yes, like Erin said, I'm, I'm an adult endocrinologist specializing in diabetes here in San Antonio. You know, I'm originally from Chicago, so really enjoying this warm weather. You know, I bet. Um, <laughs> yeah, way better, definitely. way better. Way better than all the snow. Um, and, and I'm a mom myself, so I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, so I definitely understand that need to get good nutrition in not only our lives as busy moms, but to teach our children good nutrition as well. It's so important. So um, hard. So, yeah, it is very hard. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the specific patients I see and kind of what their issues are. But I see a lot of patients, a lot of women battling with weight concerns. You know, they really come to see me, you know, with a, a number of things, you know, they may have thyroid disease, they may have prediabetes or diabetes. And one of the driving contributors or one of the other issues they're dealing with is having extra weight that they want to lose. So part of what I do is guide my patients to healthier choices and a healthier lifestyle. And, and part of it is understanding, you know, how we gain weight and how we can lose weight. I think right now, you know, with social media and the internet, there's so much conflicting information out there about how to eat healthy. Really want to do the right thing. But whenever you go on the internet, there's just like, well, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. Then what can I eat? You know? Yeah. <laughs> So much conflicting information. So one thing, you know, one method that I guide my patients on and anyone, really anyone who wants to talk to me about weight loss is intermittent fasting. Um, intermittent fasting is a method where we actually look at the timing of our meals, you know, rather than what we're eating. I think there's a lot of information out there on what I can and can't eat, but the timing of eating is very important. And this is true for our kids as well. So the whole idea is that you eat during your discrete meals, but you don't snack in between. And the whole idea behind this is 
thinking about why we gain weight and that's actually insulin. Insulin is the weight gain hormone. So understanding that every time we eat, insulin goes up and that puts us in storage mode and that allows us to gain weight, whether it be muscle, if you're like a bodybuilder and you're consuming protein after a workout, or if you're just consuming snacks and not burning them, you know, that insulin is going to store energy into fat. And that the same is true for adults and kids, actually. So this whole idea that we need snacks is actually kind of false. We, we don't need snacks. I need you to come tell my kids that around like 4 p.m. <laughs> if you could just stop by, that'd be great. It's so funny because I, I really try hard. I mean, my kids are still young and I would say, Probably, you know, up until age five, snacks make sense. Um, but after that, it really doesn't. And, you know, my, my son is five. He's going to be going to kindergarten next year. And we're going to all these kindergarten interviews. You know, we sure, just finished yeah. the round of all these interviews. Everywhere we went, I mean, it was so nice of them. But there was, like, goldfish. There was fruit <laughs> snacks. There was, like, an extra meal. I'm like, why are you feeding my kid? <laughs> you don't have to. Come to school here. We'll give you goldfish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I even, I was, you know, Christmas shopping or something, and I, and, and I went to a place where I didn't think would have snacks. And, of course, you know, they were giving out cookies and hot chocolate. I'm like, why? <laughs> we don't have I swear. You're making my job very but, difficult. <laughs> exactly. So this whole idea of snacking in our culture it, it, it's wrong, actually. And if you go to other countries, they don't snack as much as the U.S. So it, it's very, it's very interesting. And, and I think what's happening to our kids and what's happening to many of our adults is we're so used to kind of eating all day, you know, you know, you sure. have breakfast and there's a mid-morning snack and then there's lunch and then there's an afternoon snack and then there's dinner and sometimes there's a nighttime snack, right? Um, so we're telling, we're, we're basically inputting energy into our bodies all day long. And what happens when we do that is insulin goes up. So we are always in the state of storage, always in the state of storage. So we are never burning any of our stored energy, we're just storing energy and, you know, we store energy as muscle and fat. If we're not exercising all day long, then it's, it's going to turn into fat. So sure. that's definitely something that I teach all of my patients and I, and I teach them about their families too. I think that a lot of people truly believe they need to eat multiple times a day to keep their metabolism going or their kids need to eat multiple times a day. But it's actually, it's actually not true. We don't have to, you know. That's and, huge, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very for, interesting and for, concept. And for um, people out there that do have kids under five that are always looking for mm -hmm. good things to snack on, I, I yeah. assume, even though I um, have a huge box of them in my pantry, that goldfish, things like that are not <laughs> ideal, right? So then what are some quick, like... It's not that nutritious. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> so I always, you know, tell my families, it, you know, if your child is snacking, it should almost be like a mini meal. You know, okay. it should have some protein. It should have some complex carbohydrates. It should have some fat as well, because that is actually what our kids need to grow. That's what they need to have their brains develop and their bodies develop. What happens when we use these high carb snacks, which everyone kind of thinks of as a snack, like what is a snack? It's goldfish, it's a handful of pretzels, right? It's raisins. Even though it's a fruit, it's 
you know, they removed all the water content, so it's pretty sugary. <laughs> but most of what people think of, right? <laughs> I mean, most of what people think of our snacks are usually high in sugar and refined carbohydrates. And the problem with that is it doesn't really make us full. It, it spikes up our sugar levels, spikes up our insulin levels, so we start storing fat. But then we're hungry two hours later because this isn't, this isn't, you know, constant energy that our body needs. You know, when you start to incorporate more fat and protein into your meals, which we all should be doing, including our children, you become fat adapted. And what that means is your body starts to tap into your fat stores for energy. So you're not as angry, right? <laughs> so right. you don't get to 4 p.m. and go, I need to eat something right now. But it's, it won't happen if you had enough fat and protein at your lunch. You'll be able to last throughout dinner. And then even fasting, you know, there's so many people who have to eat right when they get up. I mean, you don't have to if you're fat adapted because then your body's going to be more used to using its storage. So we kind of have to, you know, teach ourselves and teach our children to do that, you know, and that what that means is when we do eat, it has to be all three macronutrients, not just one. So it has to be the carbohydrates, the fat, and the protein. So, you know, I always tell people it, it can be a mini meal even. It doesn't have to be what we think of a snack food. But, sure. you know, if it's snack time for your two-year-old or your three-year-old, there's nothing wrong with having something like cheese cubes and apple slices, let's say, because then you've got the complex carbohydrates and then you've got the fat and the protein from the cheese. So that, you know, that would be a snack that would fill a child up much more and it's healthier. And, you know, it, it's almost like a mini meal because it has all three macronutrients in there. Sure. I have to ask a question about the juicing fad. Like celery yeah. juice. What's the deal? Is that, I mean, I know it's not bad for you, but is it doing anything for <laughs> you in regards to a snack or, um, you know, sure. my kids will come home and I juice for them, which feels pretty good right. drinking liquid kale, but I'm right. wondering, right. That's, that's not a protein. That's not, you know, so. No, it's not. And, you know, I be aware of juicing and, and it depends on the individual. So I, I think it's, you're an adult or even a teen or even a child who, you know, is above a regular weight and needs to lose weight, let's say, I actually advise my patients, let's not juice. And, and here's why. So you can imagine when, when you do something, you know, we're putting all these awesome ingredients, these really healthy ingredients, like, you know, you put your spinach, your kale, and then you're sure. putting a banana in there. So your kid actually eats it. Maybe some almond milk, maybe a couple other fruits. But when you think about how much stuff went into that smoothie and how quickly you can drink it, it will actually cause a huge spike in sugar because it would take you a long time, right, to eat like, you know, a bunch of kale, two bananas, an apple, an orange. I mean, it might take <laughs> so like true. Four, five it wouldn't happen. So, You're talking about my kale. So it would take at least two and a half hours to get all of it. And they won't because they're not going to eat kale. <laughs> but so, so when we make smoothies for, for our kids, and, I, you know, we all do it, right? Because it's like, especially when your kid's underweight or they're really not getting nutrients, I think that's a different scenario. But for a normal weight child and or even an above weight child, I actually think it does them a disservice because you're – you're not 
consuming and it breaks down the fiber so you're not consuming the fiber the way you normally would or chewing your food and processing it so it actually causes a much higher insulin spike and a blood sugar surge which again is putting us into that storage mode and then there's a there's a, a psychologic aspect too so when you sit there and you eat this huge salad right of kale and berries and whatever else you put in a smoothie you're like okay I just ate this huge huge meal but when you have one of these smoothies, I mean, you just, it goes down so fast. People just think of it as another beverage, but you're actually consuming lots of calories and a lot of carbohydrates and sugar. So that's my thing with smoothies. I think it, it depends where you are. I, I, again, I, I have a lot of um, patients who, who do give their kids smoothies. And I think it's a different issue if your child's underweight or missing nutrients. I think that a smoothie might be a reasonable option as like a treat or a dessert after a main meal. Sure. But I think for a child who's normal weight, I think the best thing to do is encourage them to eat fruits and vegetables in their whole form, as hard as it sounds. <laughs> we can All talk right. about <laughs> No, that's not, that, that's, that's beautiful because then how do you do that with, um, I have a picky eater. I have the, uh, sure. I feel like it's the pickiest eater that's ever been created but how do you how do you do it how do you do it yeah and and I think it depends and it is a struggle and I can't say I pretend to know what every mom goes through because I I don't you know and I've got to say my kids are pretty good eaters I, I mean they have other issues I've been lucky and I'll tell you what we do at our house and you know I I'll tell you what I tell my patients too is we eat home most of the time and that makes it so there's limited options. I mean, yeah. and I can see it. I, I mean, when we're at home and dinner's on the table, they're more likely to eat what I serve because there's nothing else. But the minute we go to a party, like there's no way I'm going to get them to eat carrots and broccoli because there's just so much fun stuff to eat, cookies, cake, treats, you know? So when we're at home in a controlled setting, it makes it easier. And I prepare most of my vegetables very simply, but what I think is delicious to them. So for example, I'll saute all my vegetables in quite a bit of fat, whether it be coconut oil, olive oil, or butter, like things that taste good to kids. Um, And I'll, you know, put salt on them. The other thing with raw veggies is I'll make dips that I know they like. Um, I try to, you know, it's not always easy, but I'll try to make the sure. dips at home kind of for the week, whether it be like a ranch dip or, you know, hummus or something that they just, I know they like and kids love to dip things, right? Yeah. So those are my strategies, <laughs> so right? Me too. <laughs> um, so those are kind of the things that I do to try to get my kids to eat their vegetables. You know, I, in terms of fruits, I find that isn't as much of a problem. Probably most moms feel the same way. Fruits are yeah. sweet. So it's a lot easier sell <laughs> to have your kid so eat true. strawberries versus kale. <laughs> but, you know, even even things like kale, I'll, I'll try to put them in like stews, that kind of thing. And, you know, my kids will oblige. And then I do do the trick and that I say, well, this is dinner. There's nothing else. 
and so you might be hungry. That's, that's my question. <laughs> so for the picky eater yeah. like that, I mean, I've started doing that and it feels like I mm -hmm. am not doing a nice thing and I'm okay with that. I know. I, you know, I usually like to make sure there is a variety of things. Like there's a vegetable, there's a fruit, there's a protein, yeah. there's a fat on the table and they can eat what it is. And you know, if this is what dinner is tonight, it is. And I try to be nice. Like, I'm not like, it's not like we eat kale every day. Sorry, guys. <laughs> like, you know, there might be a day where it is something that one child likes more than the other. And then the next day, it might be something that mom likes more than the other. And then, you know, the next day, it's something that dad likes. So we, you know, we try to make a variety of things that my kids will eat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that it is hard with the picky eater and, you know, I've got friends even who have their kids in occupational eating therapy because it's just so hard. And at that That's point, I'm like, wow, what does that do? It's a thing. It is. So if, if your child is underweight, um, and really has a hard time, you know, tolerating food, even food that they love. Uh, you know, they just will eat, you know, a couple bites and that's it. There is occupational therapy for children that has to do with eating. And it, it's a course. I mean, you can do six to seven sessions and, you know, you could go through your, your own pediatrician to get this referral for OT, but they really, you know, encourage kids to eat. They basically put all different foods with different textures on a plate and it's a reward system. So, you know, you get a sticker if you try this. <laughs> <laughs> what is your opinion on supplements for kids, like picky eater kids mm -hmm. who need the nutrients and are not potentially getting them through the food? And supplements and vitamins for mom, too, because sometimes oh, yeah. my day consists of eating whatever my kid didn't eat on her. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> that is definitely not a good diet. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> my diet is like crust bread. <laughs> you know, like, I always feel better when it's like, well, I've only had two bites of mac and cheese and four goldfish. So basically I'm on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds <Barely>. like it. <laughs> the most restrictive ever called the toddler diet. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I would think that that's definitely something I think that should be medically guided. I think that there's so many products out there that are incredibly expensive yeah. that claim that they'll refuel everything you need. Like, you know, they just have all these supplements. You don't even have to eat vegetables. You can eat, just have this pill because it has beetroot extract in it, you know? Um, and I think that if you truly have a vitamin deficiency, it can be diagnosed, you sure. know, by a blood work. And the same thing with children, you know, I, I know that pediatricians will routinely check iron levels on children and, you know, in a breastfed child, obviously they recommend vitamin D because there's a deficiency there and for adults that you know happen to be vegan for example you know they definitely recommend b12 and omega supplements there and vitamin d because they may be missing those those nutrients sure. but i think it's something that's best discussed like on a one-on-one -on -one level with your physician to see if you've got a nutrient deficiency i'll tell you even in my clinic if if i see someone who 
cause fatigue or maybe some sign of nutrient deficiency. When I check, it, it's very obvious when they've been taking something because their B12 level or the vitamin D level will be through the roof almost at <laughs> dangerous level. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I caution people against supplements because if you are eating a, var- a varied diet, most adults especially should be getting it um, unless you're totally cutting out certain food groups. And children, I I would really do a one-on-one basis because I think that for each child, you have to look at each food group that they do tolerate and what they are eating. I mean, there's a lot of other sources of protein and iron, but I I definitely think it's a case-by-case basis. You know, when people are buying these multivitamins or, you know, these kids' chewables, it's definitely... You know, like there's nothing harmful about Flintstones. I actually give my kids Flintstones because my son was found to be iron deficient. <laughs> but, but I think it's definitely a case by case basis. And you know, even for my son, he was diagnosed by a blood test. So it's by case basis in terms of what deficiencies you have and what you need to supplement with. And and there's also something to be said about the way we absorb nutrients. So if you take a pill that has a lot of, let's say, vitamin C in it, most of it you urinate out because in that pill, it's just isolated vitamin C. But if you take it with the nutrients that help with absorption, for example, eating an orange, then you're probably going to get more of that vitamin C rather than just taking that concentrated vitamin C that your body can't process at once and you just kind of pee it all out. So that's an interesting thought about these supplements too, is are we really absorbing them um, in the the form of food and, you know, with the fiber that comes along with with it? I think too, something that we forget as moms, and I know that this is not the case with all kids. There are kids who definitely have eating issues. So if your kid isn't eating, Mm -hmm. and I'm not talking to you, but for every other mom, we have to remember that they go through these phases and it's like, it seems like when you're in the middle of it, it's going to last forever. And my mm-hmm. mom loves to tell the story of when I was like five or six and literally all I would eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner was Kraft macaroni and cheese and a hot dog with orange juice. That sounds <laughs> so good. Oh, was, I mean, like, maybe French toast every now and then. And she went to the pediatrician and the pediatrician was like, eventually she's going to get tired of Kraft macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and orange That's juice. That's Give her a Flintstones vitamin and, and wait it out. And so she always reminds me of that when my daughter is is in a food thing and she's like, just wait it out, give it three or four months, yeah. get tired of it eventually. <laughs> and that's true. I think that's definitely true. If your child's developing normally and isn't fatigued and is running around and participating in, you know, all the activities they participate in sports and they're on their growth curve, you know, I I don't think it's necessarily the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're only eating a specific way, I think the true problem is with these underweight kids that really Absolutely. don't need to be eating. Um, but I think, again, I mean, the more you offer something and the more a family eats a certain way, the more it sticks. You know, it's funny growing up. So, so I'm Indian. That's my background. And my parents are from India. I grew up eating a lot of Indian food, which is pretty spicy. Even from a young age, it was like, no big deal for some reason. And my kids will do it to a certain extent, but not every day the way I did. And it's like, well, what's different about me and that? Is my mom like, that was it. That's all I had. There was nothing else to eat. We didn't have yep. macaroni. 
if I had it, I'm sure I would have wanted that more, but I didn't know about it. <laughs> so I, I, I still think the more, I think it's really hard. I, I think I always ask my patients, okay, let's go over last week. How many meals were you somewhere else? Or did you get takeout? Or yeah. were you not at home? Were you at a party? Or was it like lunch after the baseball game? You know, how many times were you not at home? And I think for most people, it's a lot more than they think. You know, and, yeah. and the more we eat at home, the more, you know, we can control what options are there. For myself, I've made a conscious decision like, okay, maybe even if we go out somewhere, let's, let's try to come home for lunch. Let's just try to come home. So our children don't think that eating out every day is a normal thing, you know, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not like I'm making roasted veggies with like, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes our meals are just scrambled eggs and like microwave frozen vegetables, you know, but at least it's, home food and my kids are thinking okay it's normal to eat at home and it's normal to eat this <laughs> yeah. Even scrambled eggs and broccoli um, <laughs> so I, I think that eating home eating at home is so important but in our society it's really challenging because so much of our of our social life is food you know and yes. even when it's not about food there's snacks there you know like I said you go to the baseball game and there's a snack after even though your kid really doesn't need to eat or you know you you just go to the store and they're giving away free cookies for some reason I mean it's just everywhere in our society and it, even if you go to a play date I mean the host is going to have a snack for the kids you just have to right but I think we have to move away from that thinking is food is to fuel our bodies. It's not a social event. Like, why are we really there not to eat the snack? We're there to play or, you know, we're there to socialize, spend time with our friends, have our kids spend time with their playmates. They're not there to eat, right? Right. Um, (laughs) Thinking about what you're saying, and I think it has to start with us as parents because, I mean, I love food and socially, that's what we do. That's what we do. Okay, we'll we'll decide yeah. what we're gonna eat for dinner while we're eating lunch. Like, how exciting <laughs> is it? Oh yeah, restaurant, you know. Um, and so my kids feel the same. I mean, it's not rocket yeah. science. Why they, you know, my son was like, "So, are we gonna go to Chipotle today?" I'm like, "Why? Why would we go to Chipotle?" Well, they have fresh food. <laughs> I'm like, okay. go Wednesday, mom. <laughs> right. I mean, kind of. You know. I mean, it's just expected. And so then, you know, when it's home, it's just it's got to change. Basically, I've got to start that. Yeah. And it's, it's a psychological change just as much. You know, you know, I am, I, I'm an adult endocrinologist and I talk a lot about weight loss, but I am a foodie. I, I actually have a healthy <laughs> food website. You know, I wanted to mention it's drlurie'spantry.com oh, where I post healthy recipes, you know, and I even have a kid's cookbook. It's called, Can I Have a Treat? And it's available on Amazon. Um, and yeah, it, and it's, it's, it's all like healthy recipes um, for kids, everything in there. They're kind of dessert recipes. I mean, they are dessert recipes, but there's no added sugar. Everything's free, uh, sweetened with fruit and uh, very dark chocolate, which is heart healthy. Mm. <laughs> I can do that. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting, even to me, as I was creating these things that, you know, I'm photographing food that I make. I'm researching food. It's all healthy. 
you know. But I noticed my son getting very interested in it, which was funny because, you know, they they see what we do, you know, and and that's part of the reason I made the kids cookbook because I wanted my kids to think that it was normal to cook at home. Like, this is what we do. This is what our family does. When it's dinner time, we make it in our kitchen. And even the cookbook. So my kids don't read yet. I mean, my five-year-old is starting, but he cannot read a cookbook. So it actually has um, illustrated step-by-step instructions. And it's it's like a cartoon blender and like a cartoon banana, you know. So that way, and even a young child can follow along and be part of cooking at home and using, you know, real ingredients, real quality ingredients to make their meals. And, you know, and that's part of it too. I find when my kids are part of the process, even if it's a little, even if they're peeling the orange, they're more likely to eat it because they were sure. part of making it. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. And, and you are absolutely right about if you're a foodie and you're wanting to, you know, go someplace to eat, your kids are going to follow, you know, and I had to watch that for myself because, you know, I'm a foodie and I'm somebody, and I'm trying to change this actually, but I would know about like every new restaurant in San Antonio. I would know it was opening and when. <laughs> that was me. So I would plan to go. And since I'm an adult, it was easy for me to chew something on the menu that was pretty healthy. And I was like, well, I can go there and eat on my plan and I'm not going to feel guilty about that. But it's way harder for my kids. You know, they're yeah. not going to eat the the healthy salad with grilled chicken that I chose, if we go to a restaurant, they're naturally going to be like, well, so-and-so five-year-old at the other table is getting a burger and fries, mom. I want that. And well, I and the kids' realize, meal menus don't make it any easier. Yeah, that's all so. it is. Exactly. It's chicken fingers, fries, that's all mm-hmm. it is. So I had to kind of cut back and say, hey, even if I can eat healthy when I eat out, it's too distracting for my kids, you know? So we had to kind of change the way we did things. So now what we're trying to do more, I mean, we're not perfect is before the weekend we plan, you know, so if we're going to go, you know, to the park in the morning where maybe after we would go to a restaurant, we say, okay, we did a couple of weeks ago, we went to Hemisphere Park when it was like a beautiful Sunday and we just packed a picnic, you know, I mean, if you, I'm sure you guys have been to Hemisphere Park. There's so much deliciousness everywhere there. Yes, and they just keep adding to it. It's so good. (laughs) They do. And, you know, I told my kids, I was like, you know what? Let's pack this picnic basket together. And, of course, we filled it with, you know, what I think is healthy stuff, fruits, veggies. Everyone had a little sandwich. My kids actually helped make it, you know, put it together. And they were pretty excited so you know like sit on a blanket in the grass and look at our basket and look at what we had packed so you know it's definitely doable but it takes planning and this is something that I'm working on with my own family as my kids are getting older especially my five-year-old who's really watching every move you know and well you know my kid can't get diabetes that would be terrible right because I treat diabetes (laughs) So, you know, I, you know, I'm learning too, as my kids get older, like it's easy for me to be like, well, I went to medical school. I know exactly what to do. Just make your kids eat vegetables. As simple as that. Well, it's not that simple. Right? No, it's um, 
but you know, these things, I, I think eating at home more, you know, preparing your food, planning, oh, there's so much about planning. I mean, the more you prep and plan and say, okay, where am I going to be? Where's my family going to be at lunchtime? When is, yeah. Where are we going to be? How can I make sure that either home cooked or as healthy as possible? Because I think so many moms are just on the go, especially moms with older kids who have so many activities after school. I mean, you just, you're like, God, okay, let's like pick something up real fast. Always. Right. And I, and we struggle with this too in my, in my household, but we just always try to have something easy. We try to have something planned, try to have a few things in the refrigerator that we can just, you know, throw together on the plate real fast that our kids will eat. That's nutritious and healthy. And it, it never, and like I said, it never has to be complicated. Like I always just keep like peas that are, you know, cooked in the fridge and maybe some chicken breast and, you know, we always have fruit. Thank so goodness for chicken breast, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I was scrolling through your site, looking at some of the recipes, and um, I am have already filled my HEB curbside pickup cart so that I can make <laughs> cheese crackers because those look amazing. Um, what um, is one of your favorite recipes on the website? So, gosh, it depends on what my mood is, actually. So, <laughs> so you know, I really like things that are unique that you haven't seen before. So one of my favorite things to cook is cauliflower rice, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, right? So it's, it's really popular now, and it fits into a lot of fad diets right now, right? Because it's vegan, it's cauliflower, it's low-carb. So anyone who's trying to do that low-carb thing, it's there. And it's very versatile, and it's, it's kind of an easy way to get my kids to eat vegetables, too. Um, but I have several cauliflower rice recipes on my website. I'm actually working on one right now. It should be posted later today. Um, but, it, you know, where you can season it almost in every way and you're, you know, eliminating refined carbohydrates from your meal. You're adding fiber and it can be really delicious. I mean, so I've got Mexican cauliflower rice on there, Indian cauliflower rice on there. Um, kind of like an Asian style cauliflower rice on there. So those are, that's probably my favorite on there. Um, I also do a cauliflower crust pizza that, you know, my kids will like that. So that's You're on there. Speaking Aaron's um, love language. I eat cauliflower <laughs> at least once a day. I'm so obsessed. There you go. <laughs> Not as Never get boring, right? <laughs> if you like cauliflower. My biggest problem, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but how do you get your cauliflower rice to not be mushy? So I don't cook it for very long. And actually, so, so the way I cook it, it, it's actually a pretty good shortcut too. I'll buy the pre-made frozen for, I mean, as moms, <laughs> like anything that yeah. makes things easier, yes. right? Time so I'll get the frozen one from HEB or Trader Joe's. And I just put it directly into the pan with whatever seasonings I'm going to put in it. And I do not cook it for very long. So I don't, I don't blanch it before. I don't steam it before because otherwise it'll get pretty mushy. Sure. But I saute it with what, like I'll cook the seasoning first or whatever veggies I'm going to put in it. And then I put it straight frozen and I saute it just until it's as tender as I want it. So that's kind Perfect. of the way I do it. But you really don't want to boil it or stick it in a rice cooker. You want to saute it with some fat. You know, you want to saute it in olive oil or something so it stays crispy on the outside. And you don't mm. want much liquid in there. There's going to be a lot of people who are really excited to have that tip. And then there's going to be everybody else like me who's like, cauliflower smells like feet. I'm done. Thanks. 
So of course, if you microwave it or if you steam it, it, it does. I agree with you. It does not smell very good. But I think the key with it is you don't, <laughs> I, I, you're not lying. You're not wrong. Um, but I think the key is cooking it with seasoning. So, you know, one of my favorite ways to do it is just with like some chicken broth. Saute it and then with some chicken broth with some mushrooms, if you like mushrooms, tap it with parsley, it's so easy and it tastes so good. But I think the key is flavoring it so it doesn't taste like beef. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, no, there's amazing recipes on here. So there's, you don't just have to cook cauliflower. But, um, yes, yeah, yeah, it's not just a cauliflower <laughs> website. <laughs> um, so earlier we were talking about the intermittent fasting and I just want to be sure if, yeah. if, if anybody's interested to make sure we have like a, an accurate and healthy overview of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of talk about how I teach it to my patients. So when I first talk about it to my patients and there's, there's a group, right? So this is not for children. This is not for teenagers, although you can take some of this concept into children and teenagers. Um, for adults who are looking to lose weight or maintain, I usually advise that people fast for 14 to 16 hours. And during these 14 to 16 hours, you can have water. So you don't want to get dehydrated. You can have water, black coffee with nothing in it, or plain tea. So no artificial sweeteners or anything like that. And then these 16 or 14 hours include sleep. So right, so usually we're sleeping for eight hours. And I'll tell you how I kind of do it. I've, I've actually been intermittently fasting for a year and a half now. Um, the way I do it is I fast in the morning. I'll either drink water or I have green tea or something like that. And then I break my fast around noon. I'll have a lunch that, again, has all the components, has a little bit of carbs, has protein, has fat. Those carbs are always complex carbs. And then I usually don't eat again until dinner. Occasionally, depending on, you know, what I was doing, maybe I'll have a smallerish meal at around four o'clock. But really during these eight hours or these 10 hours where you're eating, you want to have discrete meals. It's not like you fast for 14 hours and then you just graze for 10 <laughs> hours. You want to have these discrete healthy meals. And, and the whole idea, so one way you could look at it is, for example, say you're doing a fast and you're you're fasting from 8 p.m. till 12 noon. So you're doing a 16-hour fast. So then you would eat around noon. You know, you'd eat your lunch. Maybe around 4.30, you have a mini meal. And when I say that, it has to have all the macronutrients, right? Like some protein and some sure. fat. Not sure. just like a carby snack. Some protein <laughs> and some fat. And then, you, you know, you've got dinner at 7 o'clock. You know, so that could be one example of intermittent fasting. Um, and then once you're done with dinner, that's it. You know, you're drinking water or chamomile tea or something like that before bedtime. And this isn't difficult. And the reason I do it is because I tell my patients to do it. So I feel like I have to lead by example. So I do it every single day. And what happens is in the beginning, it's hard because many of us are sugar adapted. We're used to having, using the energy that we just ate um, to fuel our minds and our body. But after doing this, you become fat adapted and you start to use your fat as energy and you start to burn fat. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing about this phenomenon is there's, there's a lot of cellular benefits. So aside from weight loss, um, there are studies that show that intermittent fasting helps prevent against dementia. It improves cognition. It helps um, get rid of our bodies of toxin and waste. 
you know, our bodies naturally kill old cells and in a fasting state, our bodies are more efficient. Many of my patients who start to fast will kind of explain to me, gosh, I just feel very alert when I'm fasting. I feel very focused and productive when I'm fasting. So, so these are just interesting observations that I've noticed from my patients and that have been studied. But the whole idea is that we just allow our bodies not to see food all the time, you know, not to see calories or things that increase insulin levels. And when we do that, our bodies get the rest they need from food. I know it sounds weird. Our bodies actually do need rest from food <laughs> to do oh, other that things. That makes sense, yeah. You know, it does because when we're eating, then our body is digesting our food and in storage mode. It's like, okay, we're eating. So let's, you know, spend all our energy and focus on digesting the food that's coming in, increasing our insulin levels so we can store that food as, as fat and glycogen so we can access it later. But when you're not eating, trust me, our brains will still get the fuel that it needs to think. Um, we just start to burn fat and we start to, you know, get rid of our waste. So, so fasting is a very, a very interesting concept. And the, the most common way I, I describe it to my patients is the 14 or 16 hour kind of fast. And the more days you do it, the better. Um, mm -hmm. Some of my patients will actually do 24 hour fast, you know, and they wow. do it successfully. You know, and it's something I've done in the past, just kind of to experiment. And honestly, after being fat adapted, it was pretty effortless. It, it, it was not hard because I've been fasting for a year now, you know, for mm -hmm. a year and a half rather. So, so it isn't as difficult. And, and a lot of it is your mindset too. I think many of us get stressed out. Oh gosh, I missed lunch. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Where does a uh, glass of Cabernet fit into this? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question well you know wine does cause waking it does increase insulin levels so it is a treat and it should be considered a treat right um, yes. but there's a lot of health benefits when you mention wine I've got a lot of patients who kind of tell me oh I can eat salads every meal Dr. Lurie no problem but you can't take away my daily glass of wine and I'm like well okay let's talk about this <laughs> oh, they're so serious. I'm very serious about that. <laughs> <laughs> Who is intermittent fasting not good for? Because I just want to be sure that there's not some nursing mom out there who's like, oh. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I, I would not recommend this for pregnant women or lactating women. Okay. You know, where, where your constant energy source makes sense. So, so for pregnant women and lactating women, I do not recommend this. You know, I've had a, a couple of people who've tried it you know, and I'm like, I'm not sure, really look at your milk production. And oftentimes it has gone down with intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for the pregnant woman and the lactating woman, you know, it's important to follow your OB recommendations in terms of your desired weight gain during pregnancy, but it is important to eat frequently, you know, and to follow a different kind of meal guideline. There's, there's a whole different nutrition pattern that we advise for pregnant women and lactating women. It, we don't have good evidence for fasting or low-carb diets in pregnant women. There's some evidence like in animal models that it could possibly be harmful, so it is not recommended in those mm -hmm. patients. I also don't recommend it in children. You know, we've got Unfortunately, in this day and age, some of our children are becoming overweight and maybe even developing diabetes at a younger and younger age. 
you know, my pediatric colleagues will identify these children, I would not advise them to fast. So the, the, the goal with children is if they are kind of above the growth curve is to keep them at the same weight, you know, not really losing weight is have them get taller and maybe the weight won't change, but you don't want very young children to lose weight. So, you know, I would not intermittently fast someone who is not an adult and of course the pregnant or lactating female. And the other issue is, and this is why I count, I, I don't do any blanket statements about this. And this is why I counsel patients, you know, you've got to know your patient history and their thoughts about food. So if you've got a patient who has an eating disorder history, for example, or, or you know someone like that, this may not be the best because we've got to manage our thoughts. So if, if you go into this diet, this intermittent fasting thinking, this is good for me. I'm fat adapted. I'm thinking clearly. This is awesome. That's a totally different thought process than someone who's like, I'm punishing myself. I don't deserve breakfast. So I am just going to fast even though it's so painful for me. That's totally different. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much thought work that anyone who's recommending these diets or any kind of diet really has to delve into with that specific person. You know, this be, this becomes more of a healthy lifestyle rather than an mm-hmm. actual diet. You're you're you exactly. know, basically breaking up with I, the way that you used to use it and you're yeah. using it for fuel instead. And exactly. And you got it. And I don't even think of it as a diet. Like I said, I've been doing this for a year and a half yeah. now. And from a former foodie, I mean yes, I'm an adult diabetes doctor. But like I said before, you know, I was that person who knew about all the restaurants. And if I had a day off, I was like planning what I was eating. Um, I had changed my thoughts, you know. And like you said, I think about food. Yes, it can be tasty. It can be delicious. Obviously, I'm a food blogger. I mean, I post delicious stuff. <laughs> I post delicious all day. But it has to be thought of as what is healthy and what tastes good for my body. And if your thoughts, I mean, so much of weight loss is managing your thoughts around food. Um, But if you manage your thoughts and think of it as this is the way to correctly fuel my body, then I think that this is a great method. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Larry. One last thing, if you wouldn't mind just giving us kind of your biggest piece of advice for a healthy lifestyle, whether that be an adult, a child, just something that we can go um, away from this and kind of apply it to our lives in the best way possible, what would you say? I would say we need to look at nutrition as fuel, fuel to serve us. So nutrition is fuel to serve us, do the things that we want to do, whether it be sports, whether it be just thinking clearly, whether it be keeping up with all our kids, nutrition and, and food and beverage needs to allow us to do that. It's nutrition should not feed any emotions nutrition should not be a distraction nutrition is fuel for the things that we want to accomplish in our lives i love that that's so good it's helpful it just changes perspective really Mm -hmm. well thank you for you guys that are um interested in following dr lurie more um obviously she talked about her website drlurie'spantry.com there's restaurant reviews there's healthy food recipes she also has her book available uh, you can find that on the on the uh, website or you can go to Amazon. Can I have a treat? Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with thank us you. today.
keeping us brief. And also, I just wanted to let people know I am on Instagram and Facebook as well. Wonderful. Um, pantry. So I, I kind of tend to post to Instagram a lot because it's just so easy. But I'll, I'll post recipes on there as well. We'll be sure to include all of those links in the show notes on this episode. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. We'd love for you to join us at the kitchen table for the next episode. Head to alamocitymomsblog.com slash kitchen table for show notes and past episodes. From our kitchen tables to yours, you got this.